Hello and welcome to Skimmer in the New, the new podcast. <laughs> just totally stop, joking. just stop. <laughs> um, welcome to uh, another ep- exciting episode of Headspace Invaders. Thanks a lot for tuning in to HeadspaceInvaders.net. Follow us on Facebook, please, and uh, like us on Facebook and follow us at H uh, Space Invaders on Twitter. Yeah. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about some recent Who news, some Who developments. We are going to talk about some movies that we've seen the last few weeks or so. Sure. And uh, I think Davey's going to drop some 2008 knowledge on us. Yep. And, and I'm going to throw up about 2008. And then we're going to round up with a, with our usual movies that I love that are shit. Perfect. But first, we're going to lead you in with a little, little startup music. Yeah. yeah. Listen to this. Give her the news. Jesus, just knock it off. That was fantastic. Skipper in the news. That's a good find, man. Yeah. I know. Uh, I can't remember how I actually found that. Someone either had... No, I don't know what it was. You know, it was other songs I think I saw. Someone sent me like 8-bit? A, yeah, like a Metallica song or something like that. And then I, I found that one. I was like, that is amazing. It's so good. It's just so tight. Like, I listened to loads of other ones. There's like sure. Slayer ones out there. Hell awaits and 8-bit is crazy. But that one just is... I don't know. It's perfect because the the tempo of the song, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, it fits, and it's there's not so much going on in the song. I mean, that's because right. that's the thing about punk music was it's so like tight. Yeah. And so you can do simple, that. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Every they you should can't just, really do anything orchestral. Yeah. I think bit. if uh, if the Dead Candies wanted to make some more money, they could probably release all their collection as eight bit. Oh oh man! Can you imagine game? Like what game? What would be the game that that would be the theme? You know, like just running in the background all the time. I, don't know. I bet this is how you found it. Um, have you seen any good like YouTube? Is there any, what would you like say? Hey, have you seen this video on YouTube? Is there anything that you would be like? Hey, have you seen this? I don't you know, know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like all the time, but I can't remember anything specific. That oh, I watched something about ants the other day. Um, how they excavated this ant colony in South America. Oh right, and they filled it with like concrete or something. Yeah. You could see that. Yeah, and it's just huge, kind yeah. of it's sprawling m- metropolis. Really impressive. Earth ants, man. How they didn't, you know, get higher up on us on the evolutionary channel, I'll never know. I mean, I suppose their brain was too small, but, you know, they still could take over the world at any second. Anytime. Um, I saw a video the other day. It was from a TED Talk, and it was about these capuchin monkeys, and it was this experiment in fairness. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you about it because I don't want to spoil it, but you should go watch it. And anybody who's listening, just, just YouTube, just go Google uh, capuchin monkey fairness, and you'll see, like, it'll autofill experiment, TED Talk, whatever, blah, blah, and watch it. It's about two and a half minutes long. It's brilliant. Should I put this up on the website when uh, we post this episode? Well, maybe. I don't know. It's a little bit, um, it's not really in our wheelhouse, but it's still pretty good. Well, sure, why not? Who cares? Capuchin monkeys are cute. Capuchin monkeys, yeah. Um, but the, the cool thing about the police truck, so, well, that was police truck by the Deccanis, and we, we opened up at that, is that we just thought that that would be a great theme for us because we still don't have a real theme, you know, for our show. Something to open it up, yeah. So I thought I would email uh, um, Alternative Tentacles, which is the which is Jello Barafra's uh, record label, which is also, you know, has most of Dead Candy stuff on. Sure. Um, and he owns the majority of the songs still, too. Um, so that, the Dead Candy's are actually still touring every once in a while, but not with him. Right, okay. It was a big court battle and stuff and then the, I guess it was a problem they wanted to 
uh, use one of their songs for a Gene's ad, and he said no. The rest of the band said yes, and that's causing problems with the band now, so they don't actually tour together anymore. Right, right, right. Which I don't know how I feel about. I mean, I think that you know, well, Jello Braffer. I mean, the 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 stuff that they did and the stuff that the Kennedys did, he, he's probably right not to sell out. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. That's exactly what he's not about. Sure. But maybe the other guy's getting a bit older and needs some more money. You know, who knows? You know, I don't know. I don't know what their personal lives are like. But anyway, I thought like this would be a great theme for us. Maybe if we can make this happen. So what I did was I wrote to Jello Biafra. Sent him a little email. Okay, what'd you say? I said, hello, Mr. Biafra. I'm a long-time fan of yours, and I recently heard a great cover of Police Truck done in an 8-bit version. It's really great, and if you haven't heard it, check it out on YouTube. And I sent him the link. Link it, yeah. Great pick, by the way, because the pick is kind of a cool old pick of them on the YouTube video. And you should do that now, YouTube that song now, and play it back, because it's awesome. Um, the reason I'm writing this email is to possibly ask your permission to use the first 30 seconds of this song as the intro music to a podcast that I do. It's a, it's a nerdy kind of show about whichever myself and my podcast buddy Adam feel like talking about on that particular day. Movies, old TV shows, music books, comics, etc. We don't do this to make any money. We do this because it's a laugh and because we like the sound of our own voices, I guess. Anyway, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it again. If you want to check out our website, here it is. Uh, I'm a huge fan. Thanks for all the inspiration to make me think a little bit about life and the world that we all try and exist in together. You are the fucking man. Take care and good luck. Right. Okay. Um, I never really thought I'd get a response. Sure. And that was the JB at um, alternativetentacles.com. So I did get a response, I think later on that day, actually, from uh, a guy called George Chen, who obviously works at Alternative Tentacles. And this is what he said, sent back. Hi, Dave. I will let Jello know about this. Great. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun version of the song. Yes, it is, George. That's true. Since we're talking about songwriting publishing rather than mechanical performance right performance rights, this may need to go through a, lo- a lawyer. Yeah. But considering it's a free podcast and under 30 seconds, there may still be some leeway as long as proper songwriting credits are announced with the track. I'm not an intellectual property lawyer, so don't take me at my word. Jello will let you know whether or not he gives you his blessing on the subject. Thanks. But we played it. I know, we That's did. That's so punk. That's such a dead candy <laughs> thing to do. We will give proper songwriting credits, though, yes. uh, underneath our show notes. And right now. And right now. That yeah, song was written did. by, uh, who was that? By specifically Jello by Afra and the Dead Kennedys, um, under license from Atlanta Tentacles, I bet. So, Have you been following this, um, the Goldie Blocks Beastie Boys thing? Have you seen this? No. Um, so there's a like a toy company called Goldie Blocks, and their their whole thing is they make toys for girls that aren't, like dolls or aren't um like cosmetic you know type things it's, yeah it's like oh yeah they don't want like barbies right it's but it's more like science kits and um well what do they call those uh shit uh rube goldberg devices and stuff like that so they did this video like a promotional video for the the, the company and it's uh um like a piss take on the song girls by the bc boys yeah, and it's this the whole it's a single shot Rube Goldberg video of, in these girls who have put this you know thing together in their house. It's really fucking cool, man. And like I, I know they're t- taking a piss on the song "Girls" by the Beastie Boys because yeah. you know it's it, that that song is kind of you know socially terrible, but it was also at a time whatever they've you know finally come back. Beastie Boys are very socially conscious, whatever. But it's very it's empowering, very very empowering for girls. Well, um, the Beastie Boys, I guess, a long time ago had made a decision never to license, never to use their music for marketing, what, for what, for anything. Right. They were just like, we're not, we're not going to do it. Um, so Goldie Blocks did this without their permission. Um, so I guess the Beastie Boys sent them a message. They were just like, hey, you know, it's you know, you use the song and you didn't get our permission. You know, we'd like to open a, a dialogue or discussion about this. And Goldie Blocks' response was to sue them. 
because they they used it under the fair use and i guess the fair use is a legal term for if you satire something or if you're using something not to um like not the original version or if it's commentary or if it's like a media whatever it's just a you know a license to use um copyrighted material because you're not right actually using so because they changed the lyrics whatever and that so there's fucking bullshit. Well, the, it's funny when it first happened, everybody was like, come on, BC boys, you know, we thought you were cool. Why would you sue this company that's trying to empower girls? And uh, like each of the surviving BC boys, I guess, you know, both kind of tweeted out like they're like, just so we're clear here, we're not suing anybody. We are being <laughs> sued because Goldie Blocks used our music. It's like a preemptive strike. I guess that's what Goldie Blocks is doing. I, I mean, it's all. So are you alluding to now? The fact that we should sue we have Dead to. Kennedys. Yeah, we have to right now. <laughs> Hold yeah. on. Someone get the phone to my lawyer. Yeah. Hello, Johnny Douchebag. Sue the Kennedys. Fuck those guys. Take them for everything they got. Johnny Douchebag's one mean motherfucker. He is terrible. Um, Police Truck was written by Jello Biafra and East Bay Ray. Um, the uh, label it was Cherry Red or Alternative Tentacles. I would say so, listen to the Thank you very version. Much. Then go to your local brick and mortar record store and buy a copy of the actual CD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, buy all their CDs. I think we've covered our bases. Buy right. all their stuff. Dead Kennedys are the business. They are. Um, I have a T-shirt with obviously. I have a T-shirt right. for everything. But um, so what are we going to talk about today, my friend? Um, kittens. Yeah. Yeah, kittens. Meow. Meow. Um. I don't know, what do you got? What, what what what's been happening lately? What have you um what have you seen lately? What have you watched lately? Well, I've I've seen some films, um, which we we should probably go over those, and then also we have the Doctor Who thing. Okay, what's the Doctor Who thing? The fiftieth anniversary. Oh right, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We should probably discuss that and uh, some other other things as well. Sure. Today. Um, Doctor Who. Yeah. All right, so we are going to talk about Doctor Who now. Right. Um, a lot going on. Right, loads. We have to squeeze it all in. So uh, we did a uh, thanks what? again to the guys from Geeks Who Drink who came in last time. Sure. For episode eleven, which was brilliant of them, and we had a good time with them. Obviously, the microphone sounded. We did leave them in the toilet because we didn't <laughs> want them sitting in our room because we're cool like that. We're right. we're showbiz. We're big time. Right. right, right. So uh, that's why they sounded like they were in a toilet because they weren't. No, they weren't. They just wouldn't get close to the mic. So, and there was three dudes, and I get it. They just didn't want to invade each other's personal space. But right. honestly, the next time we have someone on here, I'm going to allude to, like, you need to blow that microphone. Yeah, we'll, we'll duct tape it to the You mouth. need to yeah. have it in your mouth like it's a cock. Right. And you need to swallow that microphone because it sounded shit. It sounded muffled, yeah. Um, but we but did go see them. Fellas. Yeah, we, we went and saw them when we did the trivia. As you know, you well knew that it was a Doctor Who trivia at Snow and Company. Yeah. Um, we went there. We all uh, we had a few drinks beforehand, but uh, I wasn't hammered. Oh no, no, we weren't. I'm not saying we were I was hammered. afraid though. I was right. going to be hammered because it's strong at the beer fest. And right. I wasn't. I kept my shit together. Right. K I T. Uh, but we still got creamed. <laughs> we got yeah. murdered. We got murdered. Um, we were well halfway mark. We were well. There was 17 teams, and we were eighth. Eighth, eighth halfway through. Which was almost this, that's yeah, good. And yeah. it was only me and you. We had some other people with us, but they had zero. Knowledge of Doctor Right, Who, going right? into it, they said, we're just here for moral support. Right. Um, but yeah, so we, we started halfway through, we were eighth, and then we finished at 13th. But yeah. we did take a mic with us, and so we rec- we did record a little bit during and a little bit afterwards, and so we're going to play you our thoughts. Hey everybody, this is Adam from Headspace Invaders. We're at the Doctor Who uh, Geeks Who Drink Trivia at Snow & Company. Um, so far, Davey, what are you thinking? Well, we're halfway through. I we think we're doing absolutely awfully. My, my whole goal is to just not finish last at this point. 
I mean, I think it might. we might just have to go fuck with other teams to make them answer wrong because I don't think that's the only way we're going to win. Right. I'm going to start randomly punching people on other teams. We could take them. They're all nerds. Should we just go ahead and, like, hand in our nerd card right now? <laughs> no, no. This is, like, uber nerd stuff, dude. This is not, like, just your basic kind of nerd knowledge. This is, like, the in-depth. This is the people who've watched this show religiously over and over and over and over and over again, read about it, studied the minutiae. These are the... These are, are also our people, but these are the uber nerds, geeks, whatever. If you had to guess right now, how many people in this room have listened to our podcast? I'd say about, do we have to include me and you? No. Okay. Not including us or the other people sitting at our table. Probably two. Two that we're looking at right now? No, not including the people at our table. Oh. I know Nick's listened to it. Oh, Nick has listened to it. You're right. So you're assuming there's one other person in here who's actually listened to the podcast. Yeah, and if he knew we're here right now, he would be freaking the fuck out. He's going to be like, what, 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 you guys were there? Oh, well, he should know because he should have listened to the podcast saying that we were going to be here. Yeah, he's totally trying to scope us out right now. I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is. I wonder who it is. Okay, so we're about to, I don't know, we're going to get our first score break, so we're going to find out how poorly we did in this first round. Um, I'm going to say 12th place. Okay, you're optimistic. It's back to you in the studio, David. <coughs> so that's that. Um, we're done, and the the uh, the owls are in. Uh, the uh, the scores are in. We finished not quite last. Fifteenth. Thirteenth. Thirteen out of seventeen teams. We actually dropped five places from eighth to thirteenth. So I think that's strategy. That's geeks who drink strategy. That's why we dropped, not because of our. Well, no, those questions were fucking tough. They <laughs> were ridiculously tough. All right, we have a couple people out here who is, who have done the Geeks Who Drink trivia before, um, but like the general trivia, not specific theme nights, whatever. So I want to get uh, just an overall opinion from someone who's, A, not a Doctor Who super nerd like us, and then someone who's we're, actually well, done. We're not obviously out of this, to be honest. You're, you're like a 13. Oh, no, first place, they got like 76, 77 points. That's ridiculous just for a regular random quiz night. So, uh, okay, Robert, I'm going to ask you, how did you feel like – specifically about the geeks who drink running the theme night compared to like a general trivia night did you think it was like overly difficult do you think it was basically set up the same way well i've seen all of maybe three episodes of doctor who so for me uh, obviously it was mostly i have no idea but uh, my main goal here was to come and have some drinks and rely on my cut rate super nerds to back me up. Uh, it, it was fun. Uh, I was actually able to chime in on some of the music round questions and whatnot. But it actually, one of the three episodes that I'd seen, there was a question about it. So I got to look like I really knew what the hell I was talking about. But uh, in general, uh, I mostly sat here and drank. For the rest of you guys who aren't Doctor Who fans, were you just bored to tears? Or was it just like utter nonsense and hurting your brains? Yeah, I was just kind of waiting for like a random history question to come up. <laughs> you would, and you would think for a time traveler, it would be some history questions. I would like to point out at one point, my friend Jake here said, "Why don't they have a question about Winston Churchill?" And I had to tell him that there was actually an answer that was Winston Churchill. <laughs> it ended up being a wrong answer, but it was a very good, educated answer. Our answer. Uh, and you, sir, what did you think of it? I honestly showed up thinking that it was a show about an owl that was a doctor <laughs> and I was I was just sorely disappointed doctor who medicine owl right yeah he brought um you know he brought <laughs> he brought um he doctor brought Uzi Hauger. <laughs> Duke, like 
Dr. Doogie Hooser. Hooser. Yeah, Doogie Hooser. A uh, lot of really clever team names tonight, um, and we'll, we'll talk about them later on the podcast because some of them were fucking funny. Um, what do you think of the space? Like, the, what do you think this is an appropriate place for an event like this? Um, I don't know. I like the spot, but I mean, it's a little kind of sterile. And it was weird because when we, I think when the Whovians or whatever showed up, and they kind of forced everybody out the door. They're like, what's happening now? We have to leave. All the normal regulars should wouldn't. But I do have one bone to pick. Seriously, one bathroom. Yeah. And I hear that all the time at high dive, so I feel your pain. <laughs> and that's what the bartender said. There's more than one hole at. There's always more than one hole at high dive. Yeah, I don't think this place is quite new what to expect. It seemed like the service staff was just getting a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah, but they have it here every week, though. Oh, I guess you're right. They do. I forgot about that. I want to know why they picked this spot and like not high dive. Probably because we can't fit that n- many people in there. Just like Green Room, we can't fit. There's not many people in there either, though. Yeah, 17 teams. We couldn't have 17 teams, 17 full teams. It was maybe a little too pretty for a Doctor Who crowd. What the hell does that mean? Uh, you know, I'm just saying there were some pretty people here at the very beginning, and then once the trivia started, not so many pretty people. Fuck you, and we'll close on that. Okay. <laughs> and I'm back. And we're both back. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, that was a fun night, though. I did it was enjoy fun. myself. Yeah, and it was. Oh man, I can't. I just still sometimes I think about like the, the like. Medusa Cascade, you know, like just <laughs> right. these random answers that yeah. we knew afterwards because that's what Geeks Who Drink should be Some called. of those like, rounds oh, I knew that. Right. were fucking insanely hard. Yeah, it was really And I, my one critique, and I don't know if I covered this in the thing, was they, they, they tended to, it tended to fix on doctors, you know, 9, 10, and 11. And they they did say that, though. They said that yeah, when they were in here. They, I mean, they, they, didn't, they weren't trying to hide anything. They said there will be some. You know, questions dating back the past 50 years. But for the most part, it's going to be. Yeah, what I think there was like two questions. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, so but this has been a big, like leading up to the 50th anniversary. BBC had a whole, like the whole week prior to it. They did all of the doctors revisited. They played um, for Eggleston and Tennant and Smith. They played all of their like m- most popular episodes. Um, so you got a chance to kind of catch up. Um, and then they led into the, um, oh, they did the. They had, had a whole special on the Doctor's Companions. They had a special on Doctor Who in the U.S. and how the U.S. received it. And then they uh, leading up to the Day of the yeah. Doctor. But um, they also had some pretty cool promo stuff, too, like yes. BBC.com. Uh, they did. Uh, BBC America did this really interesting little quiz, like a little personality quiz, where you could you know answer 10 or 15 questions, whatever it was, and then it would give you a doctor. You would... You know, so you'd find out which doctor were you. Right. And I took the quiz and I sent it to Adam. I said, hey, have you done this quiz? And he goes, no. So I'm like, okay, well, let's do the quiz each. And then let's reveal the big reveal on the show, which we're going to do now. Right. So I, should I, I'll go first since I sent it to you. Right. I'll tell okay. you which doctor I am. Fair enough. Um, relieved would be a good word for me to use uh, here. And um, I'm really happy about it. Okay. Um, Doctor number 10. Hey. David uh, Tennant. Okay. First name, it's the same. David, right, yeah, David. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of similarities. You know, we're about really cool. Um, I, great, I can't, great hair. Yeah, I can't, great hair. Uh, I can't remember, um, I'm Irish, he's Scottish. I can't remember um, what exactly it led to me to be, you know, then it gave you a little blurb in the sure. bio, which I think you have I yours. I have mine right here. Um, but everyone knows David Tennant, so uh, yeah. 
I wasn't William yeah, Hartnell. Yeah, you'd be excited. I wasn't Peter Davidson, and I wasn't, of course, you know who. So right, you know who. Uh, that was me, Tent Doctor. Okay. Yay! So I'm going to read you the uh, what it says is I'm um, you know congratulations you're this doctor, but this is why it says um, you're a true romantic, a real believer in the power of people and their collective abilities. You may have seen some unpleasant things in your time, had to deal with some traumatic events, but you've never let them soil the purity of your f- faith and the basic goodness of humans. And this is written across your face. It's a hugely attractive feature, and this can sometimes lead you into trouble. But people generally feel better for having spent some time in your presence. Which doctor is that? God, that's a good one. Right. Well, I'll just tell you, you won't get it. It's the eighth doctor. So who? The eighth doctor. Sylvester McCoy? No, is it Paul McGann? Oh, Paul McGann. Oh, yeah. God, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I thought the synopsis yeah, was good. Cause but... seven was yeah, because seven was Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. Uh, Paul McGann, oh, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Random. Uh, it's weird that it was, you know, it's an American doctor, if you really think about it. Yeah. Because it was American, you know, so, yeah. He had that really good um, little kind of promo video, uh, though, before, yeah. um, which led into the war doctor, which was great. John Hurt, yeah. That was, so Paul McGann, which was cool to see him back doing that, you know. Sure. Um, but it's funny because this, this um, uh, that, and even now when you go on Wikipedia and you look up Doctor Who, which I, which I did earlier on today, um, to look at the doctors, it actually still doesn't list John Hurt on the Wikipedia. So someone's missed a, a, a beat there because usually Wikipedia is like early on it right but this John Hurt still isn't listed as he would officially have been the ninth doctor right right and then that would have been Eccleston as the 10th and then um, Tennant as the 11th and then Smith as the 12th because Capaldi is the number 13 sure which is also the last doctor in the regeneration cycle right the life of a time lord is 13 regenerations so this is the last embodiment of the Doctor, which obviously they're going to figure it's out gonna a way around. It's going to be a huge plot device. Yeah, yeah, they, they'll have to figure out how to reinvent his regeneration, which I'm sure they will. It's fine. Yeah, but yeah, um, it, we we built up to the 50th anniversary, which we've been all been waiting for for absolutely months and months well, and months. Well, 50 years. <laughs> 50 years exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but and it was um, it was really cool. It was cool to see that BBC America got really taken over by um, by by. Tardis Time Lord um, stuff. Uh, did you watch the pregame show for the 50th anniversary? Oh, well, I, I did watch... Um, well, I'll get to that in a second. Did you watch the pregame show for the the live pregame show? I did um, not. Chris Hardwick produced. He wasn't on it. No, I did not see it. You're lucky. Because oh. it was fucking yeah, it awful. Didn't, it, nothing about it seemed like... I was like, was, oh, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I mean, it. it was just awful. I didn't even know who the guests were. One guy from Mythbusters and then some other people. It could have been me and you, for right, Christ's right, sake. Right. I mean, because it was that that obscure, you know. Right. And um, well, we used a couple of Doctor Who friends to do a weekly podcast, um, just and then this, the <laughs> the Sados asking the questions were awful. They're just like so, like uber nerdy Doctor Who fans, you sure. know. Which I it, that pisses me off because it just once again portrays nerds and geeks and people who are into that kind of culture as those kind of really sad either really young like or basement dwellers basement dwellers. and that's bullshit awkward. man right, it's yeah. it's socially awkward and that's not the case right that's the stereotype and I hate that it's big bang theory all over again so but that was the, what the crowd was made up of and they were the people that were asking these questions it wasn't regular people like me and you you know um, so uh, yeah it was and they kept on going oh, this is the first time doc- multiple doctors appeared together well which that's is not true bullshit and yeah. I was going that's bull- these people don't even know the show for Christ's sake right, right you know there's been multiple times where they've had multiple doctors throughout the 50 year uh, life of this program like, so 
you know, the three doctors, they did the five doctors. I mean, they've done little minuets, you know, for like children needing the BBC where they've put different doctors together. It's bullshit. And right. and that was annoying that they didn't even get that. Um, Veronica Belmont was the host. And then in the credits, it billed the other people in the show as additional talent, which frankly, I thought that was quite <laughs> a bit of a stretch. I really did. I was like, hmm, oh, that's funny. really? Yeah. Maybe just should have said other dudes you don't know who are on this TV show. Right. Um, but yeah, that was brutal. But thank God, of course, it didn't kind of, you know, hold up the tenor of or the tem- timber of the of the rest of the the rest of the the day because it was absolutely. What did you think of the doctor? Uh, I I thought it was fantastic. I I disagree with. I, I mean, I'm I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but uh, a, a lot of the comments afterwards were, you know, I can't believe they changed this. I can't believe they changed the can. I can't believe they, you know, they completely you know, destroyed what was, you know, built up in the history of Doctor Who, whatever. To my knowledge, now you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but the whole Time War thing didn't really, I mean, it hasn't really been like anything since about midway through um, Eccleston's series, since, you know, like the Ninth Doctor. Right. So, I mean, 50 years worth of, you know, material. You can't say that stuff that they've talked about in the last three or, or last, you know, five, six years, and be like, well, they just completely turned up on its head. They just jumped the shark because they just, you know, changed everything. They changed everything we knew about the doctor. Like, well, I don't know. I don't think they did. I mean, I don't think they did anything. All they no. did was they had this thing that existed, allegedly, that no one knew fuck about. And then they said, well, it didn't actually, you know, like, well, it's, it didn't actually happen. Right. Or, or, you know, with the spoilers. Or, um, or it did happen, well, just in, not in the way that they all thought about it happened. Right, right. I mean, like, these events occurred. Yeah, and but, that's, well, that's the great thing about Doctor Who. Just the nature of the show and his character and who he is, space and time are at his fingertips. You can do what you want. And that's why it's, if it's done right, which they've done a very good job of over the last, when did they bring the show back? 10 years ago? Yeah. Unless they've done a really good job of, of reinventing certain things to keep this show new and interesting. Sure. I don't, this, this purism for Doctor Who specifically is absolute nonsense because you can do what you want with the show. Right. You know? You can do what you want. I know so many people who say, well, you know, I want to watch Doctor Who, but it's been around for so long. There's 50 years. I, I can't just jump in. And I was like, no, that's, a, that's the beauty of Doctor Who, I think, is that you shouldn't, you know, be watching an episode with the past 50 years in mind. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, l- watch that episode and the and the one or two prior and the one or two after it and think of it as a single moment and t- like th- that. Because that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to like, this is where you should be living. These are the points that we're trying to make. This is what you should be, you know, taking away from it is w- what we're talking about not holding it against what they were, you know, started as 50 years ago. Don't like right. forget all that. This is just this is just a unique way to make take something that's yeah. really, you know, like currently and socially and you know, like right, you know, valuable, but then to carry it on and and to make it last. Like don't fucking worry about what happened right. 20 years ago. You know, the continuity is there, the canon is there for all those super nerds, but really like live in the moment. Like for the Doctor Who, watch that right. episode, take away what that that episode is is giving you. Even though they, they will like say, okay, next week on Doctor Who, and it will kind of carry on. But every episode is compartmentalized and has, you know, like an idea that they're trying to get into your brain. Right. And that's what you should, you should focus and concentrate on that. And then the next episode, do the same thing. Right. And, and I, you, you will have a collection of experiences that are amazing. And you don't have to be like, well, you know, the first Doctor ate a granddaughter. So what? Big deal. Who cares? Right. Don't fucking think about that. Just focus on what's happening right now. Right. And, and, you, and, 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 and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's been taken over in the last 10 years a little bit but you got to remember this was a kids show on tv in the bbc 
50 years ago. Yeah. That's what it was. And in the last 10 years now, it's connected and tapped into that kind of nerd culture a lot more than it ever, ever, ever did. Sure. You know, it was just something that we all watched when we were growing up. So, I mean, I just think that that's kind of... And, and in the past, when they've done like 25-year... Um, uh, 25 year anniversary episodes they they brought doctors together and it was just fun it just is what it was right. you can't like you just said you can't just say okay that this didn't make sense for whatever reason it's not about that it's about celebrating 50 years of this television series I, I love that that whole expression that, that didn't make sense really? Right. a guy who right. travels through space right. and time in a box that's right. bigger on the inside right. than it is on the out right. that's fine right that, <laughs> that perfect makes, yeah right. no, that's no big deal right. you know where does granddaughter go? Right. Like, none of this makes sense because I don't right. know where his granddaughter is. Like, they, well, the reason the whole regeneration happened, especially if you watched An Adventure in Space and Time, which was that, that TV show the BBC put together about the making of the first Doctor Who, um, it was only because that William Hartnell, one, just couldn't hack it anymore and just wanted to move on. Well, not that he wanted to move on, but he was so tired, he wanted to stay. But they were also going, well, you know, he's losing the plot a little bit, and he was getting sick. Sure. How do we... But the show is really successful. How do we... You know, keep the show going. I'm like, well, let's just write this into the show, and that's what they did. Right? It was not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to just keep the show on the air. Exactly. Keep so, the show on the air. For a 50th anniversary, I fucking loved it. I, did I too. laughed. I I cried a little bit. Obviously, um, I, it was. I'm just, guessing it was like the last last couple yeah, minutes. Probably it was great. Broke you down. Yeah. It was great. Even like you know, I was a little disappointed. Like that, well, well, Rose Tyler was back, but not really. Billy Piper was back, and that's fine. But it was cool. That was yeah. good to see her. You know, sure. they were all there, all together. Um, it was just so much fun. It was so charming, you know. Um, John Hurt was great, you know. Uh, when the when they kept <laughs> pulling out their screwdrivers, and he was like, "What are you gonna do? Assemble a cabinet at them? <laughs> They're just screwdrivers, for Christ's sake!" And we talked about this earlier on this morning that that's exactly what those things are supposed to be, and they become this other thing now. Right. So they were taking the piss out of themselves, which I loved that. And they had Zygons, and it was so weird they had Zygons because we were sitting on the geeks who drink pub quiz and you turned to me and we we're talking about Zygons and then suddenly there was a question about Zygons and then yeah. suddenly the 50th anniversary it was Zygons yeah, there were Zygons right. did you have some inside knowledge there no, or something, I had dude? none yeah. it was brilliant though Ver- charming remember they <laughs> they showed the inside of Hurt's TARDIS and it was like they were like the round things like what were they for I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. it was so great it was really funny great to see David Tennant back on it of course because he's brilliant um, it was like a James Bond opening where he was hanging out at the TARDIS oh, in Trafalgar, yeah. Trafalgar Square Um and then, and then one of the other coolest bits where it was where uh, they were doing that thing with Gallifrey where they were trying to, you know, save it, whatever. And they're, they're all here, all 12. And then Ryan goes, no, 13. 13. And then and you, you see, see Pic- yeah, Capaldi's eyes. I, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps again. Yeah. I freaked the fuck out. I was like, that's fucking great. Yeah. I ran that back like five times. And then, of course, for me, the piece there was this dance. Yeah, I knew it would be. <laughs> Yeah. Tom Baker. Yeah. Tom Baker walks back in. And I know it didn't fucking make sense. I don't give a shit. Right. It was just great to see him on the show. And it was that was what this episode was about. A personification. His his showing up was a personification of what this show, the 50th anniversary show, should have been about. It was a salute to the to the past and then a look to the future. And it just encapsulated the fun, the excitement. It was just a brilliant, brilliant TV show, yeah. and I cannot say how happy I was that it was yeah. the way it was. And it wasn't meant to be, I don't think it's meant to be like groundbreaking or changing. No. It, it wasn't no. a bookend. It wasn't like, all right, 50 years is over, let's start again. It was just like, right. here's something that's happening in you know the current timeline of yeah. the current Doctor. This is an event that happened. Yeah, another you know, adventure. And some, you know, some cool things happen, and it's going to set up. I, I think that they did a really good job of setting up what the Capaldi seasons are yeah. going to be. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's... 
we there can is tell be now. a general theme. Yeah, he's going to search for his home for yeah, Gallifrey. Yeah, it's brilliant. And you know, I'm sorry we're talk we're spoiling the shit out of it, but I mean, you know, at this point, whoever's listening to this. Well, I mean, it was it. aired on a specific date right. on television worldwide, simulcast. You had every opportunity to see it. <laughs> Go see it in the theater if you like want the 3D. A, if you want to. And that's what I'm saying. It's not in a theater now, so it's not like, you know, yeah. if you haven't gone to the theater and see it, you know. Right. It was it a TV show. It was an episode of a TV show that you should have seen. I'm, so I don't feel bad about right. spoiling anything. I'm going to surprise you here. Okay. Um, I watched just before this, I watched the episode that led up to this, The Name of the Doctor. So, you know, the one where you mm-hmm. see John Hurt and... It was all that. And and it was a really, really good episode, actually. It was a great episode. I think probably Matt Smith's best episode. So I watched that episode, and then I watched the 50th anniversary, like, a couple of hours later. And I'm going to tell you this, and you're not going to believe it. I might, I'm not going to say I got it wrong about Matt Smith. But I definitely think I was a little harsh on him because of, you know, what my thing is about going from ten to him. Sure. I think the last series, he, he missed a few, but he really hit with the name of the Doctor. And I thought on the 50th anniversary, he was brilliant as well. And maybe I'm going to kind of amend my hatred of the big chin loon to, to not really hatred. Just, you know, just that he happened to have the bad luck of following David Tennant. But in fact, he was probably a pretty good Doctor. Right. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on, the obviously, even the record saying that maybe Matt Smith wasn't I so think bad. that's what the, I think that's what the one of the beauties about Doctor Who is and you've said that about most of the doctors that you dislike you said at the end you know he right. did a pretty good job of yeah. you know he did good it was he was stronger the end was stronger I think it just takes a while for you to kind of get comfortable in those right. shoes and then by the time you're comfortable it's time for yeah. a new doctor and you know but just seeing Capaldi's eyes though made me really really want to see his episodes yeah. I can't wait to see his stuff oh, yeah. man it's yeah. going to be brilliant and the whole Ben Wheatley is going to be directing the first few as well, which is sure. going to be exciting to, for us to see how he gets crazy with Doctor Who. But uh, yeah, man, brilliant, you know, and and uh, just really, really fun. I mean, think about like some of the things that have existed for 50 years. They've all been like story and character based, you know, like James Bond, 50 years, Spider-Man, 50 years, you know, Doctor Who, 50 years. I mean, these are things that have existed for as long as they have because it is a quality. I mean, they've had their high points and their low points for sure. Mm-hmm. But Spider-Man is at a very low point the, right now, to be honest. And it's, I mean, it has. It's Spider-Man has had high points and it's had low points and whatever. But it's still, it's a, you know, it's a damaged character who's put in, in fantastic positions and then have to make the best of it. And then, you know, there's extraordinary right. storytelling. So there's, and you know, you look forward to the future. You don't go like, oh, 50 years, time for something new. No, it's still, yeah. they're able to make you go, I want to see what happens this time yeah. next year. So I've been listening to music lately. And of course, Doctor Who's been on my mind and I've been, I don't know where it's just kind of popped up into my head. I was, uh, you know, of course, Muse are kind of like a Doctor Who kind of rock band for nerds. You know okay, that way? sure. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Uprising. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a complete Doctor Who rip. Uh, salute, uh, let's say. Um, but I was listening to, uh, I was trying to wonder, like, so if you went through Doctor Who foes, what would they, you know, what would be the foe, you know? Well, anyway, this, I was listening to Alice in Chains, Man in the Box, and I immediately thought, this is a song for the Daleks. Like, every yeah. man in the back, they dominate. No, it's yeah, and really they, it kind of is, yeah. So that's how much Doctor Who's been kind of, in you know, resonating in your head, just, just I could, leads yeah, over into everything. Yeah. yeah, like listening to Alice in Chains, going, "This is this could be a Dalek thing in this," or Daleks definitely dig Alice in Chains. Probably, you know. Yeah. <laughs> who does the master? They want to say like well, we want to see Doctor in Chains, so maybe. I mean, who does the master like? I don't know. Is he a classical music fan? 
Possibly, possibly not. He probably has that Christopher Lee Charlemagne CD. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I'm sure he does. But um, uh, I, I would just, I mean, uh, Adventure in Space and Time, though, I don't think you got to see that. I haven't seen it yet. Which was a really, I mean, I wrote down when I watched it, like, like a gentle little film. I mean, there was no real drama in it, but it was just a nice little kind of almost documentary about these actors who came together to create this iconic thing. And um, it was nice. It was a really cool... The last five minutes are are well worth watching. I'll say that, and I won't say anything else. Um, but it was a great salute to kind of. No, you can. Like I said, it's a television show. I had the opportunity okay. to watch it. It wasn't, you know, I can't zip. So down at to the very that. end, where the actor who played William Hartnell is standing, and he knows in the TARDIS for the last time, he's about to regenerate for the first time, and he's standing there, and he's you know kind of feeling poor, and he's all beaten up looking, you know, and. Uh, he stand and the camera kind of freezes on him. He just looks like he's lost for a second because he realized. Well, they're kind of trying to put weight to it, you know. Like right, sure. He's realized now that this show's going to go on for fifty years. Obviously, that's not true. Right, no, right. But that's what they're kind of alluding to. And he stares into space, and then he looks to his left, and on the other side of the console in the TARDIS, it's Matt Smith, Matt Smith's oh, doctor. Oh wow! And he just looks at him and smiles at him, and they smile at each other. It was a fucking cool little moment, dude. And once again, like a really cool bit to try and celebrate the fifty years. Here's the first doctor. Here's the current doctor, you know, and just kind of bringing them together in sure. a way. And it was really, really neat. And I loved that, you know, and it's all that kind of gushy sentimentality. I mean, I was uh, deep, deep, hip deep in it. Really cool moment. And um, so, like I said, if you can find, I would still, w- yeah, still yeah. well worth watching just from the from a historical perspective and just to see that kind of moment that was kind of really neat. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. yeah. So two thumbs up, man, for, for all the Doctor Who stuff that last yeah. week. They did a brilliant job, did a really of, I think. Job you know, putting this all together and then also kind of, you know, baiting us a little bit for the for the Christmas special, which is going to be obviously Matt Smith's last episode. Yep, and then Capaldi starts again, I think, in February. I think it's February, March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which I can't wait to see, man. It's going to be great. 13th Doctor, let's go. Allons-y. Oh, look at you. So I finally got out to the um, cinema. Saw a couple movies, like, I think back-to-back. You did? Uh, like yeah. the same day? or No, not the same day, because I'm not a lunatic. Um, <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> uh, no, I think it was like, you know, like a Monday and Tuesday. Right. Um, but I saw uh, Ender's Game, and then I saw Thor, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Ender's Game, I, I don't, there's not a whole lot I can say about the movie other than that. I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought, the like, visually, it was almost exactly how I pictured a lot as I was reading. Yeah. I thought they it did, looked brilliant. I, th- I thought they did, a, there was... Elements of the book that they couldn't put in the movie, but that's what happens when you make a transition from a book right. to a cinema. I mean, to a you know cinematic version is you've you've got to like shave it down because you're like, what's the core right. story and what's going to help push the story along? And and I get that. Um, so aside from that, um, I I thought they did a really good like a really good job. I mean, they honored you know the the theme, the core theme of the book, um, and I thought all the actors like everybody killed it. Um, I fucking hated Bonzo Madrid, that actor, like, mm-hmm. you know, just like I did in the book. I was like, that guy's a fucking dude, you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and I, it just ma- made me want to go like, man, I want to really read that book again. But m- more than that, I think what, you know, cause I went into it with hesitation, but the Alamo draft house, man, like I got there about 20 minutes early cause I wanted to see what they were going to do before the movie. Cause you know, before the movie, they always show right. like little clips of things or right. things that are appropriate to what you're going to watch. Yeah. Not necessarily things that are, you know, it's not going to be 20 minutes of Orson Scott card or Ender's game related stuff. But so I started taking notes as they started showing, you know, like trailers and commercials and stuff. Um, and I thought it was really clever. 
the first trailer that they showed from an older movie was um, Starship Troopers. Cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, you forget how like cheesy the, that movie was. And I love that movie. Uh, it, Paul Verhoeven. No, right. Um, but the Starship Troopers was um, uh, uh, Robert Heinlein. I'm pretty sure it was Robert Heinlein. Um, and it was a it was basically kids going into you know enlisting to fight yeah. bugs from space invading Earth. You know, and, Michael Ironside, you know, Casper Van Dien, great. Uh, yeah. That's so going to be a like, future like, movie that I love that I was, like, shit, I was like, that's that's appropriate, you know, for like a trailer to, to get you ready to see this movie. Right. It's like, you know, it's just kind of prepping you. Um, the next one, the next trailer that they showed, actually they showed a commercial and it was awesome. So it was uh, like a remote controlled tank um, called, uh, what was it called? Tiger Joe was the tank. And it was a commercial from probably the 50s and he's, or, or 60s. And it's this just monster, like, remote control tank that these kids wearing, like, these World War II helmets and stuff are driving over, right. like, logs in their yard and stuff. And it was called Tiger Joe, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, and they had all this, like, battlefield noises and stuff. And then at the end of it, it was like, Tiger Joe sold sold at food markets only. And I was like, well, that's kind of that's kind of weird. That's kind of funny. And then they go into another trailer, which was appropriate, was Space Camp. You remember Space Camp? Yeah, K-Catcha. Yeah, I totally forgot about that movie. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. Um and one thing, what like in the trailer for Space Camp was at the end of like the trailer when they're like, you know, the New York Times says blah blah blah, and so and so says this. Somebody was like, uh, one film critic was like, finally a family movie everyone will enjoy. You know, it's just like, <laughs> Christ, I'm like, it's like okay, and it just made me think about how Space far we've Camp. come. You know, like, you know, if, I, mean, like, I remember watching it and thinking oh, this is all right, but yeah, I mean, it's a you know, it was a family friendly movie. I mean, like, you know, it was. There was enough there. Like, if yeah, you're a kid, a you're like, R2-D2 fuck, type I can't wait to go to Space well. Camp. You know, yeah. and if you're an adult, you're like, all right. Shit, go Space Camp, go into outer space for real? Right, yes, right. sign me up. That's going to happen when I go. Um, but then I started thinking about, like, all the Pixar movies where, you know, like, it's changed so much where you don't, like, oh, fuck, I got to take my kid or my nephew or whatever to see this movie. Second it's fucking terrible. Um, but, like, all the, you know, the Pixar movies are, like, great. Like, you go see them as an adult. You don't necessarily have to have a kid. But anyway, so then the next commercial was for a... Um, and it was all this like civil war theme, like all these kids had on like, uh, like you know, like Confederate hats, and they had on God. you know they're carrying like little you know muskets and shit. But the commercial was for a uh, like a cannon, like a little cannon, like uh, you know, on two wheels that you roll around, and uh, they had a little wow. thing. Then you like you you know push the you know yeah. like you're tamping it down, and then you pull the thing, and then for it sure. shoots like a ball out or something like Does that. Does it really shoot the ball out? Uh, yeah, it sh- shot something out, whatever it was. Um, but, you know, it was like, oh, every boy and girl can't wait to have this. Whatever. I think it was called Johnny Reb. And Johnny this, Reb mini and, cannon. And, well, there's a song. Yee-hoo! There's a Civil War song called Johnny Reb. I, I don't remember how it goes, but it's, you know, very like, yeah, whatever. It's, but, Let's celebrate the most bloodiest part in our entire history. Well, that's what I thought was funny, too, because at the end of the commercial, you know, like they show these kids, like these neighborhood kids, and they're shooting this cannon at other neighborhood kids. Right, yeah. And then the background. Some dressed in gray, some dressed in blue. Correct. Lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then in the background, you see like this one kid who's got like this union like uh, <laughs> uniform oh, on, and he's got like a his arm in a sling and his head's all bloody, you know, and then there's Christ. a girl sitting next to him in like a little house on the prairie, you know. Yeah. And the local black kids like in chains around them too <laughs> they were the ones pulling the tank right. but <laughs> these hell. kids these kids were like <laughs> like cheering like dancing up and down like yay johnny reb johnny and, reb. and i was like oh my god and this was obviously again it was a commercial from like the 50s <laughs> you know brilliant. and i was just like can you i'm like you cannot even fathom like how t- inappropriate today, that is it was just i like i feel like I want to, and I should have since then gone to see if I could find that clip somewhere, like from this, because it was a real commercial, you know. And the announcers, you know, and then they had the like, um, 
the <laughs> you know, like in the, the whole background, you know, and then uh, it was great. And then the last trailer that they showed was for The Last Starfighter, you know, yeah. and so all of this kind of, you know, like, was good. Uh, aside from connected. being a wildly inappropriate commercial, right. you know, but uh, it's all it, connected. Great. But it was all kind of connected, yeah, you know, and so it prepped you for it. And so I, when the movie started, I was, you know, full of nostalgia, first of all, from those three yeah. movies and full of what the fuck for the yeah. Johnny Reb cannon, you know, but it was just it was that. Every time I go to the Alamo, I'm just every you know like I get more yeah. and more impressed. Like, they do a great job. They man. do they a really fantastic do. job. I mean, whoever's putting that shit together, I, well, my hats off to you. I mean, well done. Yeah. You know, because it was the oh, um, I, I, the film itself um, in this game. I I, I enjoyed too. You know, I was drunk when I watched this film, so um, <laughs> I, I was drinking whiskey like I was going out of fashion, and uh, I would say I don't remember the last five minutes, so. What is the last part that you remember? Uh, um, where he done what he's supposed to do. Okay. I don't want to give it away. No, no, no that's fine. Okay. And um, he goes to the planet, right? Is that what happened? Well, he, he, he's all angry and he grabs, he runs outside and she follows him with the oxygen thing. Do you remember uh, do, that part? Do you remember? No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Okay. So, but, I, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, and you don't tell me now because we can, you can tell me off air about. Okay. Um, I remember being disappointed about the end. Um, you know, and it kind of ties in with the whole, this whole book itself and the controversy around the book. You have to kind of like take yourself out of the fact that, you know, who wrote this and sure. what he's writing it about and stuff. Because um, I think it's just, that's just ridiculous. Um, but um, it, I, I enjoyed the film though. And you said it earlier on, it looked amazing. It looked exactly how I thought it was yeah. going to look too. I think it obviously because that he was there for, it seemed like he was only there for five minutes. Right. You know, and, and training. That, that, but right. what could they do? What you know, you it was still a two-hour movie. Exactly. So, you know, Harrison Ford was great. And I do remember thinking like, oh, look, there's Han Solo and Gandhi <laughs> shouting at each other. That's yeah. what I thought, you know? Yeah. Like, that's kind of fun. Because I was surprised because I didn't know that Ben Kingsley was in it. And I was like, oh, there's Ben there's, You know, literally Han Solo and Gandhi. Han Solo specifically, I heard the other day, and I didn't know this. Did you know that Al Pacino was originally up for the part of Han Solo? I had no idea. Nor did I. That's uh, what do you got? That's my how, Al Pacino impression. How what do you got? Is a movie Al Pacino's that, Han Solo that revered and that talked about and that's so engrossed in pop culture. I mean, like it is in the fabric of every single person, and still, yeah, not a day goes by. Well, okay, that's you know hyperbole, but it seems like every couple weeks I find out something about those movies yeah. that I never knew. I was like, what? I had no idea. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the more I, I love the idea of Al Pacino as Han Solo. It's I, can't. I think that would be so wacky. Like, he would just look so weird. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so Ender's Game was good, though. Like I said, I, I was absolutely hammered. Um, see, that's the problem when they, they start serving alcohol. I was having a bad day that day, too. So I like, I'm just going to drink when I'm here. Sure. So I drank a lot of whiskey when okay, I was there. Right. Um, which tends to be my drink of choice when I'm in the cinema, too, for some reason. I don't know. Well, where it doesn't make you pee as much, I guess. I think Maybe that's it. Yeah. And that's the kind of thought process. Right. I don't want to sit there drinking. So I'll just drink some whiskey instead. He's like, well, okay, wait, am I, am I going to not see portions of the movie or am I going to not remember the right. end portion of the right. movie? That's it. You have to weigh that. <laughs> that's what I did. And I weighed it up. And I said, I can just go with the day I've had today. I'll just go with the fact that I might not remember the last five, right. which I don't. Right. So, you know. But you well, then you get to watch it again and it'd be a surprise <laughs> right. all over. You know, right. it's like watching it's like a bonus feature. Thank God for alcoholism. It's already there. <laughs> I should start drinking more during. Ter- like once I determined that a movie is like, man, this ter- this movie is awful. 
double knob creaks, please. You know, like right. So you can forget the end of it right. for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. But uh, aside from Ender's Game, well, I'd say it was. Uh, I'll say it was good though. I uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, from what I can. I, I highly recommend it. I'd say go do it. It's fantastic cinematic. Looks really cool. Yeah. Looks really cool. Not as bad as I think it's been made out to be. It's been made out to be kind of worse than it is, and. Um, I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as it's been made out to be. Well, so a lot of people, I have a lot of you like know, it. people talking about it. They're the super science fiction fans who are terrible, and they're on the message boards, and they're like, you know, Peter and Valentine weren't in this movie enough, and what about this, and what about this part? And like, it's not, that part wasn't important for this. That's another yeah. movie. You can make a whole other movie out right. of it, and it would be fucking boring. Right. But You have to cut these they, some things out, man. Right. It's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, Thor 2. We've both seen this one, too. Uh, I think... I enjoyed it. It was exactly what I wanted. You know, right. it was, um, I liked the first Thor because um, it is, I always thought like, you know, the Marvel phase one seemed to be like all the B-list, you know, Marvel, um, you know, core characters, I guess, you know, like, yeah. like Iron Man, you know, like very few people knew very much about Iron Man unless you were a comic book fan or whatever. Uh, Thor is kind of the same way. Um but I, I, I like that. I was like, oh, that's a weird choice. So you can pull Thor in this. And it was like, oh, it's because I'm going to do the Avengers. Yeah. That's cool. But uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the first Thor. I thought that it was great. And I've told you this before. I think that they spent. You told me this be Thor? It'd be, it'd be Thor. Um, that they spent all their money on the Asgard scenes and the space scenes and those right. special effects. And then when it came time to shoot on location in New Mexico, they had no money. Right. They just went to Canada so they, somewhere. Right. They just, you know, just got this old arsenic and old lace set from yeah, some high school and terrible. like popped this shit up You're and exactly had 7-Eleven right. pay for it. They look terrible. Um, but you know, again, what could you do? Um, Change the director, no Kenneth Brown in this one, but um, it's weird because before I saw this one, I, I saw um, at um, Cinemark or AMC actually, were running like the day it came out, you could go to see Thor plus the Avengers plus then the second one because it did, obviously like Iron Man 3, it went ran directly from the end of the Avengers essentially. Sure. Um, and I had no interest in doing that one, two, three. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, it wasn't that I was like, I didn't like Thor, I didn't like the Avengers. I was like, you know, no right. thanks. Yeah. You know, um, but when I did go see it, I was actually very pleasantly surprised. Um, I enjoyed the first one too, and I enjoyed the Avengers as well for what it was. I think though, the further I get away from the Avengers, the more I realize it wasn't a really great film. You know, it was great to see all those guys together. Sure. But was it really a great film? Probably not. Thor 2 was, was good. It, yeah. Very enjoyable. Very yeah. funny. Um, top, Tom Huddleston was great again Absolutely. as Loki. Um, it was cool to see. Um, uh, it was really funny. You know, I thought it was oh, yeah, really no, funny. Absolutely. And I liked, maybe Thor can be the funny one, you know, because it's kind of such a literally outlandish premise. It's about gods and stuff or whatever. Right. That you can be lighthearted yeah, to kind of balance You probably it should be because if you take it too seriously, it's not going to ring very true work. at all. Absolutely. It's just going to seem really just cheesy. Sure. So it's probably good to keep this one as the funny one. Um, Christopher Eccleston, I didn't realize, was the bad guy. Malekith, yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize until after the fact. I was like, oh shit, that's Christopher. Like when the credits were rolling. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say there's a couple. I, I like the Captain America cameo. That was oh, cool. Yeah, that was good. That was pretty and I, cool. I did not see that coming. No, me was, neither. That and was kind of cool. The nerd world or nerdist yeah. or whatever kept that under wraps. Very cool. Very good. Yeah. And then, uh, you know what I want though? He's wearing the ultimate event, the ultimate Thor, ultimate Avengers costume. Sure. 
I want to see him with the wi- helmet with the wings on. I really, I thought maybe this one, he'd have the helmet with the wings on it. I want to see him with that on. I think they're. I, I want think the old school costume. Want to at least show it to me. I you think know? they're gonna. That's something they're gonna hold back. They're going. That is going to be alluded to when Whedon has the helm again. I, 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 I would. I guarantee that. Okay, now. we're gonna mark this down now. Adam yeah, said this today, and it's going to be a tongue in cheek. Thing. Like, yeah, it's gonna be one of those they things did it where, with Wolverine. Where, where Thor's gonna like he's gonna be presented with it cool. in Asgard, and he's gonna go. I'm not wearing that. Right, and I'm cool like, with that. I yeah. just want to see it. I and want they, I want him to kind of. I think they will make a gesture towards that, because yeah. um, he wore that costume a lot longer than he's worn the Ultimate costume. Yeah. Um. Uh, two secret endings. Yeah, yeah. Two's too many. Oh, well, I kept on thinking literally too. Like, I mean, I liked them. You know, well, I, the, I think the, the ending the, ending was the kind first of one like, was the good stinger, and yes, then the end was, end just, was a, just a kind of a bookend. Like it was just yeah, to, to kind of tie two, up. I mean, you've already you've, you started the credits. I've seen the end, the secret ending. I'm now on the way out, and we just happened to take our time. And then the the girl who worked there was like, "Oh, there's another ending." I'm like, what? No, ran back in. I was like, yeah. "Oh, that was it. Yeah. Disappointing." But you know. Just two's too many. Just leave it at one. Well, They're becoming the masters of the secret ending. I would say that it, I'll excuse it this time because the first stinger was directed by James Gunn. It wasn't done by... Oh, that's yeah. inter- I didn't, And then well, the second stinger was... Well, do you think that maybe they, they decided, like, let's put this in this film? Let's make... Like, after they maybe wrapped Thor and he thought, okay, yeah. this is the running board for the film and then we're going to pop this in at the end. And then they thought, well, hold on. Let's right. kind of pump up Guardians of the Galaxy a little bit. So let's wedge this in here. Yeah, maybe they did that. I, I that think that's what it was. Sense. I think it was an afterthought. I think they were like, "Well, we have to get, we have to start because Guardians of the Galaxy is something that no one, no one, you know, well, I say no one, but not it's very not, many people, It hasn't though. been around as long in the as, Marvel universe, though. Too, it's not a very well-known book, really. Yeah, which is good. I think group. I think it was a bold choice. I think it's a great. It'll be a great cinematic choice because it sort of has kind of been written to be a movie. You know, what yeah. I mean, it's it, that's what it is. Um, so I think they they had to drop that in there just to kind of keep that curiosity peaked and just so you you know to build interest. Um, I have some we'll, I'll wait a while before we talk about stingers about that specific stinger. Um, I enjoyed it, but I have issues with it, and I don't. But I don't want to because it's still in theaters and maybe somebody hasn't seen it. Uh, who fucking cares? They're, by the time they hear this, so they're taking. You're not going to hear this for like six months. Okay, so, so many in the catalog. So, so the they're, catalog. they're taking the fucking Tesseract, this thing in the whole Marvel Cinematic, like in the Phase One. This is what everybody wants. This is what every villain wants, and like you know, everyone wants this because they can rule the galaxy with it. And it's you know, in Ga- Asgard, it's been fine. It's been fine for all these time, right? I mean, like one time it you know it got out, right. whatever. With all these other like you know secret things that are in there. So then. They send two minor characters from Asgard, not even Thor, you know, or, or whoever, but they send other, you know, uh, Lady Sith and um, what the other guy's name. Um, they take, send them to this fucking shady ass dude. Right. And, I mean, did they not do any background check? I mean, like you walk in, you're like, nope. I mean, just, yeah. like, just look at him for Christ's sake. Just the way sake. this guy talks and the, he's the shit. He's a collector. Right. You, he's, know? you know, it's like, you know, it's okay. You got a couple slaves here. You got some people in fucking bombing fluid and creepy right. shit all around. Just drop it There's off. Nothing here. shady about this. Hey, will you take this thing and um, that everybody fucking wants to get their hands on? Um, would, would you hold this? Will you keep this around? You know, keep it safe? He's like, sure. Sure. Like, <laughs> have you never seen a movie? And then there was like a crash of thunder and lightning. Yeah, yeah. What was that? No, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's <laughs> No, it's cool. Sorry. <clears throat> I mean, yes, of course, I'll keep it safe for you. You know? And then, 
Uh, yeah, I, just, I, 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 I understand get it. I understand, and it's, you know, whatever, but it's just. You have kind to of somehow funny. kind of bring this all, th- all together. It's the Infinity Gauntlet, though, is it what they're going to end up, I guess, doing with this? Because now they've got. They have multiple ones now together, multiple Infinity Gems. Infinity Gems, right. Um, yeah. So I just think Infinity Gauntlet, and then it's. Thanos has to come into that then because he's the uh, one who had the Infinity Gauntlet. So. Right, and that's going to play into. Yeah, but, yeah, so. Uh, and Avengers. Well, no, Avengers Ultron. That's right, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It was That was kind of ridiculous. But it was nice to see Benicio del Toro there because yeah. he's great. Yeah. He's and he nailed it. I mean. Yeah, he seemed incredibly creepy like yeah. he was supposed to. And afterwards, I went straight to like Wikipedia and looked up the collector and I was like, what, what, what were they thinking? Right. But, okay, those are my thoughts on Thor. Go see it. Yeah, definitely go see it. It's yeah. it's it's better than the first one, which yeah. you know we, at that at that time that was in the middle of all the hype, the Avengers hype. You know, we knew what we were getting and we knew what this was leading up to. Sure. So I would say, you know, yeah, I enjoyed the second one more. And this one wasn't a giant slurpy commercial like the first one. Was. Right. Yeah. So yeah, Thor was great. Uh, Ender's Game was good too. Yeah. So what I can remember of it. So we're going to talk about, now we're going to talk about something that I is very dear to me um, and also should be dear to everyone else listening. If they don't know about this, I'm going to help you out. And this is not, um, um, I'm not going to, this is not, when I say if you don't know, I'm going to help you out and, and try to enrich your life a little bit. Um, er, er, uh, this is not, well, anyway, but um, <laughs> okay. I'm just kind of waffling on it a little bit. But, uh, today, Junior. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about 2080. Okay. Um, um, this is a comic book that I, a comic book, an English comic book, um, which had, um, which I used to get, you know, every week. It's a weekly, um, like amazingly imaginative stories, you know. So someone who was, you know, my age when it came out, and I don't know, I was maybe 10 or 11 when it came out first. It was exactly feeding into what I was interested in, which was like science fiction and cool stuff and adventure stuff. Um, and a lot of times that, you know, growing up, I, I used to read comics when I was a kid, like the Beano and the Dandy and stuff like that, that was specifically geared towards kids, cartoon comic books. But they're always weekly, so it was cool you get them on a Friday. So it was the end of the week. And oh, right, yeah, sure. Yeah. And um, t- 2000 AD was one of these. And it was um, kind of uh, black and white mainly, except for the color. The cover was color. And then it had, uh, it was like a tabloid f- form, like if you can imagine that. You know, you know so basically sheets of paper were just stapled in the middle. Um like I said, black and white, but it was uh, so many great comic strips came from this weekly book. But the, one of the coolest things, and it, it differentiates itself from American comics, was that one, it was weekly, and then two, it, it just had it had multiple stories in it. It just didn't have one. Like, it wasn't just the X Men. Right. It was just like Spider-Man. every story was like four pages, yeah, right? Four or five pages, right. right? So you would have arcs that would go on and on and on and on and on, and on for months. Used to get free gifts in it too, when they used to try and like push up the publication sure or the the uh and you know there were usually some kind of plastic bit of tat you know with which had some kind of space script splashed on them like a space saucer you know frisbee sure you know stuff like that but it was small and cheap that they could just like uh sellotape to the front of each book and sellotape (laughs) and but i have a mate back home who has every single episode of this thing every Every single one every single every single issue from number one to when they stopped actually printing it on a weekly basis. It's still an online comic book. You can still get it online, right. but you can't buy it anymore in paper oh, form. I think they're still making it. I don't think it's in the same format, though. because They're making Judge Dredd. They make a Judge Dredd book, um, the well, me- magazine. Well, then how long ago did they stop doing 2080? Um, I mean... I guess it's still online. You can still buy it online, but I don't think you can buy it anymore in, like, uh, as, in paper form. Okay. All right. 
Continue. But he's got every single episode um, or every single issue. And it started in 1977. Actually, said every single prog is what I should say, to be prog, honest. Right. Um, yeah, started in 1977. And, and the main impetus behind it was a guy called Pat Mills. But Pat Mills has gone on to do some brilliant stuff in comics. But that was the point of this book. It, it was like a, it was, it gave an outlet for so much fledgling talent. It was like a proving ground. Kind yeah, of like. in in Great Britain and Ireland, sure. you know, um, and they went on to do. And I'm just going to list some of the people that worked on on 2018. So Pat Mills, uh, Kevin O'Neill, Alan Moore, Garth Ennis, Alan Davis, Mick McMahon, Grant Morrison, Brian Boland, Ian Gibson, and Dave Gibbons. And some of these people have you know, revolutionized the comic book industry. Neil Gaiman was also involved with. Yeah, Neil Gaiman did too. And, yeah. and, and maybe, maybe not as much, but he at least. But yeah. you're, you're, you're looking at like, say, Dave Gibbons, right? Who, pen, who inked uh, and penciled The Watchman. Alan Moore, who wrote, wrote the, the Watchman. Watchman. You know, um, and Gibbons also did Harlem Heroes and was the co-creator of Rogue Trooper, which is, I mean, a phenomenal story arc in 2008. But like Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill, martial law. Sure. You know, I mean, uh, Garth Ennis uh, did some of the best work at Hellblazer that's ever been. I mean, you know, these guys were like... Grant Morrison, I mean, All-Star Superman. Um, yeah, I, yeah mean, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, um, but like you had characters in the book, you know, of course, everyone knows Judge Dredd, who only appeared in the second issue, actually. He wasn't in the first issue, issue number two. You have Judge Dredd, uh, some of my favorites. I'm not going to list them all because there's right, so, so many. many. But Judge Dredd, Nemesis the, Nemesis the Warlock, uh, Rogue Trooper, Slain, ABC Warriors, DR and Quinch, which DR and Quinch was written by Alan Moore and, and penciled by Alan Davis. And of course, they, you know, they, uh, they combined on um, uh, uh, Captain Britain as well. Have you ever read the, uh, the early Captain Britain stuff? Sure. It's really quite this, this, like disturbing future of Britain, you know. Um, Seemed heavily, to be a lot of that too, like in the like seventies and early eighties. Right. Well, heavily I mean, influenced by Margaret Thatcher's right. Britain, you know. Um, but uh, uh, Dior and Quinch, if, if you, I would find Dior and Quinch because they're funny. They're these two funny psychotic aliens that just mess stuff up. And uh, Dior and Quinch go to Hollywood. That storyline was, I mean, was just brilliantly, brilliantly done. And I would, I would encourage everybody to seek that out. Uh, Ace Trucking Co., uh, Strontium Dog, which is some of the greatest stuff ever, uh, uh, Stainless Steel Rat, which were based on the uh, Harry Harrison books, which I read a bunch of those too. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I will extra special kind of mention to The Ballad of Halo Jones, which is, I guess... That's Al- Alan Moore too, right? Right, that's yeah. Alan Moore and uh, um, uh, Ian Gibson uh, right. did the pencils on that, drew that. So, but that Ballad Hale Jones is considered to be probably the best comic book ever written. Now, I don't know. I think The Watchmen for me is probably the best. But the Ballad Hale Jones was so far ahead in its in its th- thinking. But this is in a children's comic book, remember? Right, right. I mean, children or you know, early teenager, mid-teenager. Um, but still considered now to this day, like some of the greatest comic book stuff ever, ever done. You know, and once again, it's Alan Moore. You know, he's right. behind, you know, so many. Ballad of Hill Jones was like a more like an adult sort of sci-fi yeah. um, yeah. ten ten almost. It was yeah. just kind of the adventures of. Yeah, it's yeah. about a girl who just kind of became really, really super, the most famous woman in the universe. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of sounds like Bill and Ted. It's about two dudes who became right. the most famous things. Yet, but who that's, travel around in, right. in time and space in a phone box, which sounds like Doctor Who. All goes back to Doctor Who. Right. Wait, that well, does like, sound a lot like Doctor Who. It does. It's totally, okay, well, great. I think that's what was Rufus Doctor been. Who. No, um, that must have been a ripoff. If you think about that, oh, no, Bill and Ted. Be. I mean, because they, I mean, they travel on a telephone box. Yeah, 
I mean, that was a kind of a salute. To All right, the, back to 2008. But the Ballad of Halo Jones, seriously, still, and it's unfinished. They never finished it. I mean, they kind of did, but they never did. And then Ian Gibson and Alan Moore fell out. Like, right. Alan Moore tends to fall out with all his collaborators. Like, he fell out with Alan Davis, too. You know, he, he just tends to fall out of the people he works with because he's so fucking crazy. Like, right. the guy's a nut job. And perfect. Great. Yeah. I'm glad he is. But, um, like I said, it could go on and go on and on and on about how many brilliant comic strips there were in this book. Um, but, uh, you, like I said, um, uh, they, they used to, it was like, a, they had their whole own vernacular. And it was, you know, all overseen by... Um, this persona, which is the mighty Tharg. It's like a robot? Is that what it no, was? No, he was an like alien. An alien, right. But right. he was, he, he used... He's he, like the Stan Lee. So, yeah, he's the editor, right. basically. Yeah, he, so, yeah. you know, Tharg used to change, obviously, because the editor, the comic book used to change. Sure. But it was always Tharg from... Um, I can't remember the name of the place he's from, but uh, he was the... he, The vernacular that then it, they would introduce to bring, you know, his character to life was... He used to say things like thrill power, which was every episode was like packed full of thrill power. That was what he used to say. Right. Um, everything, it was called prog. They weren't called, like I keep saying episodes. Actually, right. But they were called progs. He had words like galactic growth. So if you wrote in and got your letter published, um, you could either take your money in, in pounds or galactic growths. Uh, uh, he used to fight against these things called, called thrill suckers. Which used to then that used that was an, as an insult too, like oh you're a thrill sucker, which basically these kind of tiny little microscopic aliens used to like suck, suck the, the thrill power right, yeah. from his progs. Right. Um, he used to say things like Borag Thung Earthling, which is like hello, Zarjaz, which was like a great you know hey excellent kind of thing, and uh, Grexnix was like a douchebag, and Splendid von Thrig was like goodbye, and then Scrot. Like I mean, he had like they had this whole kind of thing, just based an umbrella-like over the whole comic book. Right. Um, super, super interesting and super fun. And, and for, like like I said, someone like me who was, you know, just trying to pull in every kind of bit of information I could possibly about science fiction and stuff like that, it was it was amazing. Okay, so I have some questions for you. So gr- growing up in Ireland, when you when you were getting these, like uh, on Fridays, if you would go to your newsagent and you'd buy a, a copy right. of this week's 2080, were there, like the shelves, were there... Were there American comics like readily available, or were they just kind of come as you go? Were they, were you able to just get them every now and then, or yeah, I mean, every were now they and distributing then. Them? Yeah, you couldn't really kind of sign up for, um, like you know, for for two thousand eight, I get you know subscription type. Okay, so it would come in the from mail. the new no from the news agency. Oh, from the news agency. Okay. Um, I would you know, and I would go there every Friday, or whatever, and then or my mom would, and then she'd pick up uh, yeah the comic books for me when she got the weekly shopping type of thing, and then bring okay. it home. So I'd read it then. So. But no, you couldn't do that with American comic books. They weren't as readily available. They weren't shipped over that much. It wasn't for years later like that you could actually do that, like sign up for, for, for subscriptions. Because 2080, I talked to um, to Keith at, at Clint's, and we talked about 2080 for a while, and mm-hmm. you know, and he's well-versed in you know print publication. I mean, whether it's pulp mm-hmm. novels or comics, or whatever. Um, even he was like, you know, this is the information I have about 2080. He said it just wasn't available in the, in, in the U.S., Right. Ever, I mean, it was like if you got an issue of it, and that was a reason why it never really took off in the in the U.S. was because it was so serialized and so compartmentalized that you might get one issue, you know, like your right. com- your comic shop might get like a handful of that week's, but then you'd open it up and it'd have you know storylines of somebody you don't really know that much about, right. and it's just one day yeah. in a maybe a week long, you know, in their you know that universe, like a week long story. Yeah. So he said, you know, your first panel would be the exposition, you know, like last week or you know whatever. And then you'd have basically two pages to yeah. tell the story, and then the last yeah. few panels would be leading up to the ne- to next week. Yeah. Um, and he said that, that you know that there were it, 
it was popular enough, and I use the word popular loosely, that Judge Dredd did kind of become a, you know, like, mm-hmm. wow, that's a cool character. That's someone we can kind of, you know, get on board with because it's familiar enough to what we were exposed to at the time. Um, he said Rogue Trooper was one of his favorites. Um, and then what's the dog one? Um, Strong Team Dog. Strong Team Dog was another Johnny one. Johnny Alpha, yeah. Yeah, he said that was another one that just kind make of them to started, you know, like getting ingrained in, loosely into, you know, like people who collect the comics. He's like, but if you could ever get your hands on one, it was really cool because it was something that was so yeah. rare in the States. Um, and then I asked him a question that he couldn't answer. Maybe you can. So when, oh, also the United States tried to do this. They tried um, at one point, DC tried to do basically the same thing where they were going to make a prog where then um, they called it Action Comics Weekly. And it didn't, I mean, it didn't last very long, like maybe a year, maybe mm-hmm. two years. So every week they'd have this, and it was a relatively the same format. And it kind of incorporated, um, it kept the storyline separate from what was going on in your monthly issues. Right. Um, but still involved in the same, same universe. You know, it's like, right. Kind of yeah. to be uh, like, okay, so... Yeah, you they know, used to do from, that a lot from, with Dread. They'd have like starting and finishing, you know, because Dread would always always occupy the middle page because they, they sometimes, most of the time, they make the middle page of color too. So Dread being the most popular thing. So you would have like one adventure of Dread sometimes where it would just be a start and a finish. Sure, just like a... Right. You know, and then some would be over two weeks and then some would be over, you know, six months. Like the Cursed Earth stuff or the stuff that they did between Mega City One and the the Russian uh, cities where they did uh, uh, the Apocalyptic War, the Apocalypse War. They did that whole thing that was over like a, literally a six month arc. Sure. Um, but then they would have standalones because I guess yeah. the idea was for them. You know, the question always like, what happens in between panels? And so mm-hmm. they were like, well, we'll make this prog, and then every week you're getting more. You know, it's still only three four pages, but it's just kind of like what these people are doing in between. Like you know, it's like meanwhile. You know what what happened between then and there, the, yeah. that kind of stuff. But it didn't take off. It didn't because it was just it was too much. Right. You know, it's like well, I'm already doing the month to month for all these other titles, and now I've got to get there every week to get this. You know. Yeah. Whatever. So it didn't take off. But w- I remember as a kid, like when you know, we're collecting whatever comics you were collecting, in the pages there was always full page ads for like, you know, like X ray glasses right. or whatever sea monkeys. Did did that exist too? In like in the the 2080s, did you have the same sort of like marketing thing? Was because you had so few pages to deal with. Mm-hmm. Were there like ads in there that you like every week you talk about? Like, man, one of these days I'm gonna buy you yeah. know, that giant blow up. No, no, that didn't, didn't have exist. That. It was like the BBC. There's no odds in the BBC. There was no odds in this in this book. I mean, you would basically have story after story after story, and they'd use every single page to tell the story, the, including the back page. Sure. So it was weird because it was raining, and then you got your book or your your comic, and it was like a bit messed up. Sometimes you get like a back, you couldn't read the you know the back story because like oh shit, that was the last page of that particular story. So it forgot, or if it got torn or whatever, right? And but yeah, it would go cover to cover. There would be one page which would be, you know, Tharg's page where he would talk. You know, he would take letters. Right, so it'd sure. be like the letters that people write in or whatever, and then maybe some competition stuff. But pretty much they kept the advertising out of it for a long, long time, especially during like when I was getting it. And the cool thing about when I got it was that when I came to it a little bit, and like I used to get it, and then my cousins used to get it. Like I was a little bit too young to get like the when it really, really began. So then when I came to it, my mate who has all the issues, like, I could just get, like, give me the Apocalypse War. And then he'd hand me, like, 50 books. Right, right. And I would sit there and I would read through all the Dread stuff. Just go through Dread from that start of that adventure to the end of it. And then I'd read through every other one. Right. So it was cool. And then I'd just give them back to him. And then what was the, like, say, when you first started, what was the price? How much did they cost a week? Oh, what price, they? like, 10p or something, like 15p. Oh, okay. Yeah. Low price. 
Um, like I said, they were super cheap, you know, and and they were a massive publication at the time, you know. Um, obviously, they're enough to pay these guys, you know, the the droids, the art droids, and the script droids, as Star used to call them, you right. know, uh, to pay them enough because it was in such a wide publication. But I, like I said, like you said, don't not too much outside of Britain, the UK, and Europe, you know. Yeah. Um, but just I mean, like I said, if people don't know about this book, they need to know about it because it's it's been such a big influence on on comics going forward, uh, popular culture, science fiction, you know. Sure. Some of the names that worked in this book are just, you know, like the the highest of the high in, 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 in that kind of world. So um, definitely worth checking out. And the magazine's still out. Like Mega City One, you know, Judge Dredd. And, right, you know, yeah. There's so much stuff that I don't understand why they haven't made. I mean, I know why it's been Dredd because he's obviously the most popular character. You know, he's the Wolverine in the Marvel Universe. Dredd is the man in 2008. Right. But there's so many cool characters like Slane or Road Trooper that they can. Nemesis the Warlock, I think, is made. It They really need to do that. And that's a Pat Mills kind of a, uh, that's Kevin O'Neill, you know. So the art looks the same as, sure. as Martial Law. And I love Martial Law so much. Um, uh, the way that, like, the way that uh, Kevin O'Neill draws, is, it's all angles, you know. And, you know, Nemesis the Warlock looks, you know, exactly like that. And he's a really detailed kind of weird looking character with like Torquemada and like and then the the other question I have for you is so DC and and Marvel you know like they established early on that all of their characters are going to exist in the same world did that happen at all in 2080 or were they all crossover stuff well I mean they were just like you know while you know Judge Dredd was having his adventure here in that same universe I mean was there did you ever were there ever illusions you know in like yeah. oh hey there yeah they, sometimes you see ABC Warriors did a lot like ABC Warriors came from or Nemesis of the Warlock came from ABC Warriors like ABC Warriors is about these kind of uh, robot fighting robots of the future and then they kind of pulled Nemesis out of that I think that's why they did it um, and then sometimes they would pop back up in his story arc you know um, but yeah they, they would do that slightly you know like not like sometimes you'd get people who were super, like Chopper was a super popular character in Dread um, who was a sky surfer and then he would have Chopper then had his own serialization serialize that word sure um, but yeah they would definitely allude to that sometimes that there was certain crossovers but not everything crossed over because it just didn't make sense right you right. know like Strontium Dog I don't think ever crossed over Road Trooper never did too that was probably like a different you know universe right 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 they just gave the writers but, <laughs> yeah but they did and I, I think it was tends to be the people who worked on the same kind of things. Like uh, Kevin O'Neill, Pat Mills, that was, ABC Warriors was also theirs. So they kind of kept their shit in the same way. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, brilliant. You know, um, Drock, Stom, Grud, Judge Dredd, swear words. They said, <laughs> and, and, and the way they kind of uh, passed that over, like, well, they were legally permitted swear words because in Megacy, one obviously like such a fascist state sure. that you couldn't really curse. Right, so it was all drock, and it's a way of stone. getting it past the censors. There, yeah. it's time too. Like yeah, the editors going, cool. you can't say that word. Okay, what cool. about this word? Sure. No, well, I'm not the same thing. I'm not going to go around saying stom. I think I did like for a while though. <laughs> oh, stom, I'll drock you. Right, you know, you can bring it back. You mother grudder. Uh, it is worth to say, like I mean, you know, people should if if you have an interest or if you're you know a collector or a comic or whatever, you follow it, and you want to find. It. I know, like some of the comic shops in town have like back issues of 2080. Yeah. Well, obviously they're back issues, not printed, but Back um, progs, you mean? But it's, you know, again, is there's that difficulty because they might have one or two, but they're not even, you know, they're years apart and it's right. just one piece of one story. But it's just kind of a neat thing just to feel the fabric of the pages so and stuff. Wh- so what I would do is buy those progs or issues and then call me or email me 
and I will fill you in on the details of that. Those <laughs> you'll give you the, the prologue and the epilogue. Yeah, like, right. Oh, well, this is what happened in the end of that right. particular adventure. Because right. I read a ton of them. Now, I probably stopped reading it. It got shit, to be honest. It got really kind of self-involved and too... I think the problem with it was it tried to then grow up with its audience a bit. And right, like punk rock. Yeah. Like it just, you know. And then it got too kind of... Like Zenith was in was was a good example. And Zenith was actually quite a good story, and it was kind of um, um like a superhero, but it's set in the real world type of thing. And and but it was just it just started getting messy. And then they would have these these story arcs. Then these other serials in the book that honestly just didn't make fucking sense. It was just like, and I was reading it going like, I'm not an idiot, and right. I can't, I don't understand what's happening here. So. You know, I think that that didn't help it. Sure. And then the cost went up because it became full color and then it became a little bit glossy and et cetera, et cetera. And it just kind of started to fade away quite a bit, you know. Hmm. And then American comic books became more readily available too. Sure. That didn't help it. But yeah, yeah man. You, your productions went, values went up, ours went down so we could distribute right. further. And then. Right. But 2008, brilliant. And I haven't got a 2008 t shirt. Need one of those. All right. I'd love just love the well, just 2000 logo, coming. just 2080, because I had like that specific kind of logo, or Nemesis the Warlock shirt too, and that's what I've been looking for those two for ages. You know, I even tried to get a Judge Dredd shirt when we went to the Tower T-shirts at the Comic Con right, here in yeah. town, and they didn't have any yeah. bastards. Anyway, well, 2080, man, check it out. All right, so um, uh, we're at that moment in the show where we. Uh, what do, time is it? It's time. <laughs> We need an intro or something to this bit. Some kind of really shitty theme song or something. I don't know. Um, but it's time for another episode of Movies That I Love That Are Shit. All right. I'm waiting, waiting with bated breath. A.K.A. Movies That Are Shit That I Love. Right. Um, and this week or this episode, I've chosen one that I don't know exactly if an awful lot of people have seen this one. Okay. Uh, and once again, this kind of goes back to my childhood when I saw this. I was a kid. It was on TV back home, and it was kind of like um, a Walking Dead T-shirt. He's just unveil- unveiled. That was Adam un- un- unrobing. That was my zipper. Um, the top one. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it was it was one of those films that just came on TV kind of late, and it was a school night, I think, like a Thursday. But for some reason, my parents either got too involved in the TV and the movie itself, which I, I hopefully they didn't, because it's not a great film. Okay. But they just let me watch. I think maybe because it, they knew it would appeal to me. All right. Because I had a lot of things in it. I had like mysticism and I had martial arts. Okay. Hey. What, what more do you need? 12 really? or 13 year old kid. That's that's brilliant. But um, this film is, to my knowledge, what I knew of it was called The Silent Flute. But I guess over here, it's called The Circle of Iron. Got nothing. Now, I know why it's called The Silent Flute because there's a dude in it who plays the flute. That only this other guy can hear. Okay. So it's a silent flute. All right. I don't know why it would have been called the Circle of Iron over here, because even after rewatching it last night, which I did, it still does, that doesn't make sense. Okay, sure. That's is that like one of those titles where someone just said, "Hey, we got to think of a cool title for this name. What sounds cool?" Maybe uh, the silent flute was already taken by something else. Maybe <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Uh, but why? What? No, I think it was the Circle of Iron here, and then they called the silent flute over there. Right. Because it was obviously a U.S. movie they released over here first. Oh, okay. All right. So, The Silent Flute slash Circle of Iron. Have you seen it? I have not. Have you heard of it? Not to my knowledge. Okay, I'm about to blow your mind. I can't wait. So, this is based on a story and idea that Bruce Lee and James Coburn wrote together. Okay. All right. All right. Right. I like where you're going to this. (laughs) I just love this already. Yes, tell me more. 
But he already died before they decided to make the movie. Okay. So instead of Bruce Lee as the title character, or not the title character, actually the silent flutist, okay. uh, who's a blind man, they gave it to David Carradine. Uh, this is from 1979. Okay. Uh, now, David Carradine, that also kind of rang an alarm bell in my head. I was like, holy shit, this is David Carradine. Isn't that the Carradine. second time he like, yeah. pulled something out from He Brett. ripped something off Bruce Lee, because right. Bruce Lee, Kung Fu, was, was his, his idea. idea. You know, the guy, Kane walking the West, you know, you know, and you know, going through adventures and like the littlest hobo, you know, only kung fu fighting non-dog hobo, littlest hobo, would like solve everyone's problems that day and then roll on to the next town or whatever, or adventure. Um, also weird though that they had David Carradine, he was not an Asian guy, playing an Asian guy called right. Kane um, in kung fu. But yeah, but as I said, David Carradine two times has stolen stuff from Bruce Lee. Now the second one, obviously Bruce Lee was dead, so... But they got him in instead. But right. it was just a weird kind of connection. I wonder if those two du- dudes ever actually met. Or how did Bruce Lee feel about David Carradine? I don't know. It's, I, I don't know. know. That's a good question. And I loved Kung Fu, that TV show. I absolutely loved it. I was, I mean, you, I used to have these purple cords when I was a kid that had a Kung Fu, cane Kung Fu patch on them. <laughs> and they were the fucking coolest trousers sure. I've ever owned. I've never owned a, a, an item of clothing that was that cool again. All right. Those purple flared cords with the kung fu patch on them anyway um so this stars david carradine as he said who also st- stole the role of kung fu of kane and kung fu and it starts off with a kung fu tournament it's got like black guys it's got like white guys it's got like asian guys it's got guys with really really dodgy mustaches i mean it's so magical started off and we're jumping in right into the action um this film starred um uh, let me see here it starred uh uh, like I said, David Carradine, it was a guy called Jeff Cooper, who I then tried to look up, because he looks familiar, if you watch the film. Well, first of all, he looks like Peter Frampton. Okay. So you can imagine a Kung Fu Peter Didn't Frampton. did most people in the 70s look like Peter <laughs> Frampton, though? I mean, <laughs> So you can imagine the Kung Fu, but he looked, the hair was perfectly Peter Frampton-esque. Okay. He looked like a Kung Fu Peter Frampton. So, um, But Jeff Cooper, a Canadian actor, and he never really did anything else aside from this film. Like, he did a few guest spots around the same time in TV shows like Vegas or wherever, but never really... um, I guess he was in Dallas, that soap for a while, as a doctor for, like, two seasons. But never really did anything else. And he's retired now and just lives in Toronto. But um, it had uh, David Carradine, Jeff Cooper, Christopher Lee's in it, as Zaytan. Well, of course, yeah, it has to be. Uh, Roddy McDowell. Again, yeah. At the very beginning. Uh, Eli Wallach was in it. Really, Eli Wallach was in a, it was a really, really weird appearance for him because, I'll get to it, right? So the uh, the whole thought process behind it is that there's this guy, Cord, who's the Jeff Cooper guy, right? Cord. And he is goes through this fight, this fight against other, you know, uh, dudes to try and win the honor of see- seeking out this guy called Zaytan who's this Kung Fu master who also holds this book which has the infinite knowledge in it, in this book. And they've been doing this for generations, trying to find the right person to find and no one can ever beat this Zaytan guy or whatever, who's this, you know, mystical character. So, he doesn't win. He gets gets disqualified because he's a fighter. He's not like in it, you know, he's like, I'm a fighter, not like a martial arts guy, whatever, you know, I'm not here to play by the rules. I'm a renegade, I'm a rogue, you know. So, he ends up following the guy who wins the tournament and then they get kind of disconnected and he ends up going, walking after this blind guy who's David Carradine with a, with a, with a flute, with a silent flute or whatever. Um, 
And then he gets kind of caught up with him, and he realizes, maybe this guy's cool, and he watches him beat the shit out of these guys, even though he's blind. He beats the crap out of Rutger Hauer, you know? Right, and, Blind Fury. Uh, he beats the crap out of these guys, and then he goes, he starts talking to him, and uh, David Carradine talks in these Confucius-like kind of answers. He says things like, tie two birds together, and though they have four wings, they cannot fly. Right. Sure. But Words really, to live by, really. What I mean. the fuck does that mean? <laughs> but this happens throughout the film, that David Carradine is this mysterious, mystical, kind of Confucius, fortune cookie-speaking person. So your man um, Cord, though he he you know has to he has to go through different because he finds the the guy who really won the tournament or when he really won the tournament whatever he finds the guy and he's been beaten half to death he's like oh continue and he ha- they have these medallions they have to wear and that's how you can see that these trialists have wear these medallions okay. so he takes the guy when the guy dies actually kill help he helps him kill himself because he, he wants to die with honor he's like you take the medallion he's like okay so he takes the medallion he goes on to start doing the trials first trial is against this monkey king guy which he has to fight, which the sign of flute player, David Carradine, kind of lets him know the secret of how to fight him, you know, and this kind of continues. But David Carradine appears in four different, different guys in this movie. Like, he appears as, and it's very Zen. It's all about Buddhism and Zen. Um, so Carradine says the Monkey King, the sign of flute player, this other guy, Death, and this other dude that he looks like a kind of Arabian guy that he has to fight. Okay. So he continually fights the David Carradine character, or David Carradine throughout this film. Um, but he has some interesting fight techniques. This looks like a film, and Kung Fu always struck me as this to the TV show. Is that I don't know if David Carradine ever really knew martial arts. He never really seemed to know. Where, you know, what, isn't he like selling Tai Chi DVDs and shit like that he's now? He's dead now, dude. Oh, well, wasn't he selling Tai Chi DVDs for <laughs> Maybe. a while? I think he was. If you ever watched that show, I mean, he never. Oh no, know, no, no! It was nothing like. No, he was just yeah. an actor who just could, they taught him how to kick high. Right. You know, and he moved in slow motion with the chops. He uses a lot of what, what I will term as. Kirk's Guide to Fighting which there's a a thing on uh, IMGUR uh, that has Kirk's Guide Captain Kirk's Guide to Fighting where he does like the bowling ball 10 signature moves yeah the bowling ball the human the human um, torpedo the Kirk chop the double fist uh, punch same kind of fighting techniques are in this movie there's a bowling I saw the bowling ball used repeatedly (laughs) where you just roll into the guy's legs and he falls over I've never been like at a bar you know like hear the like the the chair squeak out and be like hey bar fight and then watch a dude like do a bowling ball and and then then go into a bowling ball yeah what if two dudes went into the bowling ball together they just crashed together fight over yeah (laughs) there was a lot of Kirk chops a lot of chopping you know oh yeah Um, but uh I did see the chop. I saw the two-handed punch, and like I said, not the human projectile. Um, uh, but but he he would go through these different trials and fight the different characters, and then sometimes they'd have this weird stopping point. And I don't know if it was like a message about Zen and the Buddhist religion at this point, because I think that Bruce Lee, when he was originally coming up with this story with James Corbin, was like that's what he wanted to portray how you know Zen and Buddhism really is. Um, he bumps into Eli Wallach who's sitting in a vat of oil in the middle of the desert. He's like, what are you doing? Like you do. Right. He's like, what are you doing in there, man? And Eli Wallach goes, well, I'm trying to dissolve the bottom half of my body. That's a good start. And the dude goes, Cord goes, "Uh, why? (laughs) And Eli Wallach goes, well, because I'm I'm, I'm a holy man and I want to be a holy man, you know, but the problem is my dick, now he doesn't say it like this, but my dick keeps pulling me to the earth. So I'm going to get rid of it. And I don't have the balls, literally, right, right. to cut it off. I've thought about it a few times. So I thought, like, well, instead of that, I'm just going to dissolve it off. So I'm going to sit in this vat of oil until my legs and my dick are gone. Right. Like, 
Okay. And was Cord like, okay, moving on. He's like, yeah. No, he said, I think you need professional help. <laughs> That's a Confucius quote too, right? Right. <laughs> because, because obviously if you meet a guy in a desert who's sitting in a giant bowl of oil trying to dissolve off his cock, that's kind of a normal thing to say. So that's what he said. Right. And But then he wanders off and you think, well, is Eli Wallach going to come back somehow? Because he looked, your man looked in the boat. Well, first Eli Wallach wanted him to get in the boat with him. Right, yeah. He's like, I mean, you should get in here too, man. That's awesome. Let's, devol- let's dissolve off each other's cocks with our mouths. No, that's a different film. Um, like he looked in the bowl of oil that the guy was sitting in, the vat of oil or whatever, and he goes, your legs look like seaweed. <laughs> and he goes, and what's the other thing look like? looks like a pimple it's like yes i'm almost done this is a scene an actual scene that happened i swear in. to god and and they didn't talk about it when he goes okay you need help you should have seen a doctor right and then he leaves you never go back to eli walk no you can't we don't no, you can't. we don't we don't even discuss it no it's just like it's dropped in the middle of the film yeah. for whatever that's reason. that's not like chekhov's gun you know like <laughs> you show a guy in a vat of oil in the desert trying to burn off his penis in the first scene Right, and then it comes back in the last scene to help you win the fight. No, right. he no. he like rolls in there grabbing at people or just surprising people with like, his like. Oh yeah, yeah, I knew that guy was going to come back. Yeah, nope, you can't. He's so you holy have... now. He's got no cocky shooting lasers out of his eyes. Right. Um, yeah. So there was that, and then in the hedonistic camp where he meets uh, 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 David Carradine again as in different guys, there was all kinds of shit going off in there. Like, so you think like, okay, this is crazy hedonistic camp. What's happening? Well, obviously people are doing it, sure, rolling around the yeah. sand. And then, of course, there's fireworks going off, you know, hodgepodge sure. everywhere. Right. There's juggling. People are juggling. There's juggling going on. Every hedonist camp I've been to has fireworks and juggling, <laughs> so, I mean, it's at least accurate. And, of course, there's people jumping on trampolines, because that is the height of excess. True. They're just jumping, fully clothed, watching each other. On trampolines. Right, trampolines and, and ground pools. Yeah. That's it. Sky's the limit. Kublai yeah. Khan. You've made You know, it. it's crazy. Sure. Who knows? This uh, Utopia. I mean, we've hit it. Um, so that was that. And then he fights the, you know, then you see David Carradine fight this <laughs> this big giant black dude. He's super muscly. He beats the bollocks out of him, like, easily. Then you see David. The bowling ball move. <laughs> he does use the bowling yeah, ball move. Yeah, the big guy never and sees he it coming. a lot of Kirk chops. Sure. A lot of Kirk chops. Then you see him Kirk chop, and I'm not making this up. The guy Cord is standing there talking to him. And David Carradine is there, all swarthy looking, kind of gypsy vibe, um, Arabian vibe. And he's there's a cow in between them, right? And he's telling, well, when are we going to fight? He goes, well, let's fight in the morning. He's like, I don't want to fight right now. Says your man Cord. And David goes, okay. And he, this cow, he karate chop, Kirk chops this cow dead. <laughs> <laughs> like he just chops him right there and the cow falls down dead. So. And was he like, you still want to do this? <laughs> your mom's like, and your man Cord just smiles and goes, let's roll. Yeah. And then they do, literally roll into each other. Yeah. So um, uh, I don't know how much money this film made. Um, probably not an awful lot. I, I would imagine more than they spent on it from what it sounds like. Right. Richard Moore, the director, I mean, he's a cinematographer and he did some cinematography and other things, but nothing of note. Right. He never directed another film. <laughs> the screenplay, though, like I said, the story was by James Coburn and, and Bruce Lee. And the screenplay, though, was written by a guy called Sterling Siliphant, who actually wrote uh, In the Heat of the Night, um, starring Sidney Poitier. Right. And, um, oh, yeah. Uh, what's the actor in that? Uh, but he won an Oscar for that movie. And he's written, like, a bunch of really good stuff and this. So this is that kind of blot on his copybook, you this know? This is his 2080. Right. Like, he wrote, um, although he did write Over the Top, too. 
<laughs> well, of course. And the Towering Inferno. Inferno. Um, but he, you know, he. But the, those movies made money. You know, they're fun. But uh, but that's basically in a nutshell. Well, finally, when he gets to, he he defeats the the fourth David Carradine character, and then he goes to the place where Zetan is, the bad guy or the guy he he wants to fight and win the book of knowledge. He goes to this. They they ship him off across the sea to this island. And Christopher Lee is Zetan. And your man Kor's there. Like, literally, he shows up. He's, like, ready to go. He right. comes up. With, he's got this weird kind of cross move. Is this kind of defensive posture when he's in his martial arts mode. Right. So he goes straight into that. And Christopher Lee's there in this really weird conical hat going, dude, it's all right, man. We're not going to fight. I don't, fight. don't be ridiculous. We're not going to fight here. We're cool. Look, it's all. this is where peace and harmony is. You made it. You did it. Your man Kor's like, okay. Peter Frampton, wow, comes alive, awesome. Uh, show me the fucking book. So Christopher Lee goes, well, I can show you the book. But first we'd have to fight. No, <laughs> I can show you the book. But your man Cor goes, first we have to fight. He goes, no, no, we don't have to fight. It's not right. fighting here. Uh, we're men of peace. Uh, I can show you the book, or you can be like me. You can never look in the book, but take my place as the leader of this harmonious people. Right. And your man's like, fuck that, I won't look at the book. Christopher Lee look, instantly looks upset. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus no. again. Another one. So he gets out the fucking book. Your man Cord, oh, I'm spoiler alert. Your man Cord gets the book, the book of knowledge, the book of everything. He opens up the first page. There's a mirror in it. He's looking at himself. Wow. Yeah. Because he's the answer. He's the key to the universe. Zen, dude. The end? No. Okay. He then turns a page. There's another mirror on that page. He turns another page. Another mirror. He turns five more pages. Mirrors All on mirrors. every one. Christopher Lee standing there and goes, all right, you've seen the book. Now you, you can take my place. And he's like almost begging him at this point. Because, Just please take this job. Yeah, it fucking sucks. There's too much harmony right, here. I want to go to the straight planes. It, well, it was almost like the bit at the end of uh, 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 Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Oh, right, uh, yeah. Where, where it, your man's like gesturing towards, nope, nope, not that good. Yeah, oh, he's warmer, like, warmer, he's like, you're, getting please, cold, you're getting cold. Please, yeah. come right, on, right. take my place. <laughs> right. I want to get out the you're fuck hot. out of you're here. You're burning hot, you're burning hot. Been here for 300 years, Indy. Uh, same thing. Your man Cord laughs in his face, goes, no chance, man, I'm not staying around here. Christopher Lee looks, please come back. You must take my place. No, he splits. He runs back into David Carradine, the silent flute playing David Carradine, right. who now isn't blind anymore. He was blind, now he's not. Sure. He goes, did you look at the book? Yeah, I looked at the book. They laugh about it, they embrace each other, and that's the end of the movie. And then roll credits. Yeah. It was brilliant, man. Now, I saw this like when I was, when I was a kid. I was like, I remember, I didn't know what the fuck it meant. Well, I kind of thought, that's a shit ending. Right. Okay, I get the fact he's like, oh, I'm so, it's all in ourselves. The secrets of the universe are inside. I get that, but still shit. But make with I, the Kung Fu. Yeah, I wanted him and Christopher Lee to fight each other. Right. You know, and maybe Christopher Lee would turn into Dracula. Maybe he would, I mean, I don't or know. Or Count Dooku. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, whatever. I wanted to fight, though. Yeah. Um, it sounds like Bruce Lee uh, took a bunch of drugs <laughs> and read <laughs> The Little Prince <laughs> and just started <laughs> just started writing. Well, him and oh, James Coburn did a lot of drugs. Yeah. They did a lot of drugs. Then they did the mar- martial arts together. Maybe like they kick some, kick some pumpkins in, the, in their garage or whatever. And then they decided to write this film and it got made. Judo chopped them. Yeah, they, yeah, sorry. Judo chopped them, maybe, bowl, maybe bowling rolled into them. All right, so coming away from that, I think, honestly, the question on everyone's minds, all of our minds, is um, on your purple cord Scooby-Doo pants with the cane patch, did they come with the patch or did you have to put the patch on? Put the patch on those ones. Awesome, okay, cool, great. 
They went on there, man. Got all I need. <laughs> so uh, that is the uh, movies that are shit that I love is Silent Flute or, or uh, Circle of Iron. Um, so look it up. Check it out. It is, it, it is available in instant viewing Get on up. Netflix. I swear to God. No, it did say there was like a little caveat to it, though. It said available till 12-1-2013, which is today. today. So You son of a bitch. <laughs> hard luck. You're going to have to go buy the movie, which you probably have a very, very hard job finding. Um, that's our episode for yeah, this week. Yeah, that's it. Um, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Boulevard for hosting us again, Absolutely. as always. Yeah. Um, follow us uh, at H Space Invaders on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And uh, HSpaceInvaders.net is our website. And uh, click on the orange. Yeah, the RSS button. The RSS button on the right-hand yeah. side yeah. Um, to kind of subscribe to the feed, because I know we've had some problems with that. But that is the best way to subscribe to us uh, on your phone or whatever on your iTunes. Absolutely. All right, man. Are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. All right, that's great. Well, thanks a lot for listening again, and uh, good luck.